It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Court Today. Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103. And a very good morning to you and the weather forecast, you know, giving us a nice, pleasant day today. Well, all I can say is enjoy it while it lasts, because Miss Erin are saying there will be a noticeable contrast in the temperatures uh, from today and tomorrow and into Thursday. Temperatures across the weekend could be below freezing. It's all down to this northwesterly airflow that is coming over the country. The average seemingly temperature for this time of year is around 11 to 13 degrees, but it is going to be some degrees below that uh, over the weekend. I mean, in recent days, we've been having, you know, wonderfully, very pleasant autumnal weather. We've had temperatures around 17 and 18 degrees Celsius. So it's been really nice uh, warm weather, but it's not going to last, unfortunately. The cold front will approach the northwest coast early on Thursday night. It's going to bring rain. Some of that rain is going to be persistent. And then the cold front and the rainfall will sweep southeastwards during the night, bringing in this much colder Arctic air mass on Thursday into Friday morning. So Friday, Saturday and Sunday, daytime temperatures, they're saying they could be as low as seven degrees. It's going to be breezy and there's going to be a wind chill factor and it's the winter woolies and the hat scarfs and gloves I think is what we're going to need across this bank holiday weekend and then Sunday morning they're saying temperatures could be low as minus one degrees that obviously is going to lead to uh, frost in some areas Friday they say there's a risk of some very heavy showers particularly if you're in coastal uh, areas and they met Aaron are saying the early indications for the weekend suggest a cold and a windy one it will be mixed with some sunny spells uh, and showers but even with the sunny spells the temperatures are going to be down daytime temperatures will pink will peak in the high single figures at very best with then the chance of lower temperatures and some frost uh, overnight but the outlook for today and tomorrow does remain good and we have temperatures kind of around 12 to 16 degrees. So for today and tomorrow, I suggest that each and every one of us uh, enjoy it. You're very welcome along to the programme. John Paul is taking your calls at 1850 333 103. Anything you want to share with us, we would love to hear from you. Texting and WhatsApp also available at 0862 Later on on the programme today, Leah Niriada 
the Sinn Féin candidate for the presidential election will be joining me live in studio and as we've done with other candidates uh, who've joined us on the programme we very much let you the listeners set the agenda if you have a particular question that you would like to put to Leonie Riada or a comment about the presidential election get it in in plenty of time uh, so the earlier you get it in the better the chance we have of putting your question to Leah and we will endeavour to get to as many questions as we uh, can and Leah joins us live in studio and of course tonight there is another presidential debate where all of the six candidates uh, will be present and they are by far the better uh, debates. We had one last uh, week even though people you know felt at the end of it that they hadn't learned that much it seemed to be picking on each other more than anything. Are we going to have more of the same tonight? I don't know but there's a few days to go and I mean certainly if you're looking at the opinion polls it looks like Michael D. Higgins is home and dry. It certainly is his uh, to lose. So anyway questions for Leah get them in to us uh, please. We are going to uh, talk about the council, the executive of the council's decision to continue to close the Waterloo Junction last week. We spoke once again with the residents of Waterloo and these, this junction now has been closed since June. Nobody expected it to close for to be closed for as long as it was and if you remember back in June initially when it was closed we and residents were led to believe it was clo- it was closing for resurfacing and then suddenly once it was closed the word came through that it was a permanent closure which obviously caused much upset and alarm for people who live in the Waterloo White Church area and then of course that led to people having to go you know, all around the houses to get anywhere to get children to school, to get children to their local GAA club for training, for people to get to work and it really has discommoded the people of Waterloo and they've been fighting a very, very strong campaign to get the council to change their mind and reopen the junction. So seemingly the topic got discussed last night at the Blarney McCroom Municipal District meeting so we want to hear what happened there and is there any light at the end of the tunnel for the residents of Waterloo and Whitechurch. We'll discuss that on the programme this morning. We'll chat with a young Mill Street asylum seeker whose story we highlighted in one of our OBs, one of our summer OBs. It was the McCroom Food Festival. Sheena Nidul was, was joining us to talk about the work of a local social action group in the area. And she happened to start talking about this young asylum seeker who lives in Jashan Castle in Mill Street telling us her story about how this young girl wanted to go on to third level education but because she is stuck in the asylum system I think rules changed and it meant she would have to pay fees in order to attend a PLC course and if you're living in an asylum centre you don't have a lot of money you certainly don't have the money to pay any kind of third level fees so she really was caught in limbo we're going to do an update on that story and I'm also hoping to speak with the young asylum seeker but it's one of those kind of good news stories. So we'll find out more about that on the programme today. Homelessness in Cork. It's back on our news today. I mean, it's, I suppose some would say it's rarely off uh, the news and it's certainly back on all of the papers today. We had some housing activists who were protesting last night at the City Hall in advance of a City Council meeting and they got arrested. There was a, a protest uh, held outside of City Hall so we're going to be uh, talking about that and with more people than ever finding themselves homeless. And actually I was reading over the last couple of days a report, it's a survey that came out, I think it was the, was it the, a, it was the AA conducted a survey 
where the overwhelming majority of people in Ireland now fear that home ownership is beyond the grasp of the younger generation. And whatever it is in this country, it's kind of in our DNA to own our own houses. Previous generations, we've always strived to own our own houses. This isn't always the case in other countries. I mean, certainly Scandinavian countries, for them, home ownership is not high on their priority list. They have a tendency to be a nation that rent and rent all of their lives. And it's not uncommon to rent all of their lives. But that's not something we the Irish do. We like to own our own houses. Now, maybe it goes back to famine days when we were kicked out of houses and our forefathers were were evicted. Maybe it's got something to do with that. I I don't know. I'd love someone to do the psychology of that and and tap into our psyche as to why do we think it's so important to actually own the keys uh, to our own house. So it was interesting to hear in a survey of 5,000 people. I mean, that's a big survey that some 68% of the people that were surveyed, when they were given a statement, they completely agreed and the statement was I am concerned that home ownership is less attainable for younger generations than it would have been in previous years and that's a very high proportion of people saying that they really fear for the younger generation that they're never going to be able to own their own home and that follows recent research that's showing the average buyer now first time buyer is four years older than the average buyer was in the late 2000s. First-time buyers are now 34 years of age on average when they get the keys to their own first home. And that's according to stats coming out from the Central Bank. Housing and indeed getting on the property ladder is one of the major issues facing Irish society currently. And it ranks up there with worries about Brexit in terms of challenges for our government uh, to get their heads around. And that's coming out, as they say, from a survey uh, by the AA. So we'll discuss homelessness once again on the programme today. And then Joe Heffernan will join us in the final hour of the programme. And Joe is going to be giving us tips and words of advice on stress uh, management. And actually talking of stress management, if you are female, you come from an agricultural background and you're in the Bandon area. Can I suggest you come along and join me in the Monster Arms Hotel on Thursday night because I'm going along and I'm going to act as MC and I'm also going to be holding a panel discussion on women in agriculture and the purpose of this evening is to raise awareness of the role of women on the farm. We're going to have three main guest speakers who will cover topics like farm paperwork, uh, making wills, how important it is, succession of the land and we're also going to talk about mental well-being and I think that's probably of all three are equally important but the mental well-being, if we don't have good mental well-being then nothing else uh, falls into place and then so we'll hear from each of the three speakers and then I'm going to be joined by three farmers and co-op board members all female and we'll we'll get into some of the issues that will have been raised by our speakers and just get these women's views on it but also we'll be looking to the audience if anybody has a question to ask if anybody wants to make a comment uh, on it. It's going to be a nice relaxed uh, setting and I'm looking forward to that. It's been organised by the Skibbereen and Bandon uh, Credit Union and actually I'll also be interested in looking at some recent sur- a survey that they did about what is concerning farm uh, families. Anyway, they've been asking people to register all along but if you haven't registered you know, and feel free to just come along and join us in the Munster Arms Hotel 8 o'clock on uh, Thursday night if you are free and available as I say I'll be acting as MC on the night and looking forward to it This is the Cork Today replay on C103 
As we've been hearing on our news bulletins all morning, three housing activists were arrested for occupying the city's council chamber. Meanwhile, on the steps of the City Hall, County Councillor Dermot O'Kyla launched the Housing Rights and Reform Alliance. And uh, Dermot O'Kyla uh, jo- joins me. Good morning to you, Dermot. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, How are you? And, um, I'm very well and, and you're welcome. Were you Good. aware of what was going on inside in City Hall with the housing activists? I, I was indeed. I was indeed. The activists had determined that they had to escalate the campaign for housing rights because after having 10, organising 10 24-hour sleepouts outside City Hall and Dáil Air in between them, and numerous other actions, they're being ignored by council members. And they felt just completely ignored and they had to do something. So they said, right, let's walk into City Council and into their office and let's discuss the housing crisis with them and ask them would they please declare the crisis to be a national emergency. That's a simple request that they made. And of course, the answer they got was that three of them were arrested and taken to the Brightwell. So that's a very curious one in, in a public and what, building. And what do you... In office hours, you can be arrested. <laughs> and it's they've been arrested under the Public Order Act, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And de- declaring it a national emergency, yes. what, what difference would that make to a homeless well, person? Well, the, the Housing Action Group for over 12 months now have been campaigning that the government should set up a national emergency committee, half of whom would be non-Eroctus members to deal with the issue of housing and, and homelessness. Now, as you know, we did this during the bad weather last February. We did it with foot and mouth crisis. The crisis in housing and homelessness now is such that it needs that focused attention that all the heads, the best heads in this area will be brought together to Father Peter McVerries and others other stakeholders like that who have proven track record and who are trustworthy will be brought in to discuss how are we going to provide these houses. Like two weeks ago there we had this scandal announced that permanent TSB, aside from them having given 10,000 more mortgages over to a vulture fund, aside from that they have 1,500 houses without any encumbrance, free, that are empty, ready to be used and we own TSB Bank. So why are those houses not simply given by the state to people who are in emergency accommodation, costing the state an absolute fortune? Like, there's an economics question here. We're being, the state is being robbed blind by landlords and so on, who are reaping huge profits from all this crisis. Why don't we just give the properties to people and, and earn money out of it instead of costing money? So these are the ludicrous things that are going on that I think an emergency committee would be able to focus on and give some direction rather than play the political game as they're doing in Dáil Éireann. And a game is all it is. And I know, and I know on the, it was the Irish Independent yesterday, we're running a story about the empty houses, the voids, the so-called voids uh, belong to the council. And I know Cork County Council have been doing their bit to turn around their houses. um, And, but there are still a lot of houses around the country. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and really, they're the low hanging fruit. They're the ones that belong to the council. No brainer question. Yeah. The the Cork County Council have, have, I think, 85 houses targeted voids to be recovered this year. And it's a disgrace because the average cost of recovering a void in the county area is €13,500. So if you took somebody off half payments and put them into a recovered void property, the full cost of recovery would be repaid to the state in less than a year. Wow. And, and they were then moving into a profit scenario. Like, so the fact that these are slow to be recovered and only 85 houses in one year, it's a joke from Cork County Council. So like, there really needs to be a reckoning here 
and the Housing Action Group, in my opinion, are dead right. So what was announced yesterday evening, um, following all those arrests and so on, and of course it was prepared, is that there's a new initiative happening before the, the local elections next May. And that is, there's a new group formed called Housing Rights and Reform Alliance, which will cover everything from the from the high rents being charged to the lack of maintenance in public housing to the lack of standards being applied in private rentals and so on. Housing is the priority. And to insist that the councils who have a direct responsibility in that area deal with it. And will no you campaign problems. only on housing, Dermot? That'll be a primary thing. The, okay. second, the second leg of that group is reform. Councils must be made to do what they're supposed to do, and that is to represent the community and people. And it does, it, it, we believe that councils don't do that by spending ridiculous amounts of money on harebrained schemes, as both city and county have done with this new We Are Cork logo. I think it's costing over 300000 No councillors were even asked about that. It's a ridiculous expenditure on, on, on a nonsense, rather than, I, I know now all over Cove and Cork City, the same thing. There's houses in bad need of repair that could have been put right with that money. But that's only one yeah, example. We, yeah, we need to prioritise where the money is, is yeah. being spent. And yet I saw the city's head of uh, housing when he was you know, talking about what the housing activists did yesterday. He said 21 people exited homelessness last month. They did, and how many joined? He didn't say that. Yeah. And he also said since the start right, of the right, year, there, were thir- there was 32 refusals of offers of accommodation yeah. from people living in emergency accommodation. I'd love, to, I'd, loved, I'd love to dig down more yeah. into, that makes exactly. a good I, headline, I, but I'd like to dig down more into why. Cove and East Cork is full of people, right, who are looking for housing. And if someone tells me, look, there's a house here, nobody's going to take it, I'll give them a list a mile long of people who will take it. It's just a nonsense for people to come up with this sort of... It's, it's a defensive tactic on behalf of public officials who who are in an indefensible position. I mean, I, I, I don't like just condemning people, but they're in an indefensible position. They're not getting the results. And in, in the normal world, if you don't do your job, you get fired. So these people, in my opinion, should be fired. If they can't resolve this problem, then they have no business pretending to be trying to do so. And it's, it's at a terrible crisis now. Fam- young families, I'm meeting mothers with kids, especially mothers with, with kids, and, and nowhere to go, even to go to homeless services um, in the city there, which is where all the South Cork area go to. And they're being just turned away or being given money to go to a hostel where they're supposed to share a room with six other strangers. Yeah, I was I was looking right. at I was looking at figures over the weekend, and I know there were nationwide figures of the numbers of children born into homelessness. And I just thought, my God, what a stigma that those children will grow up with. They will know that they were born into homelessness. Yeah. You know, their their mothers left a hotel room, went to the Everybody. maternity hospital, had the baby, and went back to a maternity hospital. I went back to from the maternity hospital to a hotel room. William Glangmire says a question that's bugging him is the housing associations that have grown up across mm. around these countries, around the country. He wonders, are they quangos? We're hearing about these housing agencies all the time, but why don't the council just do the work instead of another agency? And someone else is making a, a, a similar point. Whatever happened to the day when councils built? Our, our houses. That's exactly what we need is the councils have, city and county have loads of property. They need to build houses. It's not a, a rocket science. But, but in actual fact, you know, like looking at the national picture, like there are, there are actually enough empty houses in the country to house all the families on the waiting list. It, it's unbelievable. They're, they are sitting there and most of them in state ownership. And it, it's, it's a, a crying shame and 
to see large estates still empty, to see banks like PTSB with 1,500 empty, unencumbered houses that we own, the public owns, and they can't be given up to people. Uh, you mentioned a figure there about new um, about housing, uh, people on the housing list. I'm just looking at a report here. In the Cork City area, because someone just handed it to me, last month there were 56 brand new presentations for homelessness in the Cork City last year, right? Yeah. And of repeat presentations, 755 in September 2018. That's the scale of things we're talking about. No. And, and also, and, and you know what, I absolutely accept those figures. They are only... Um, I think scratching the surface because they don't count the people that are back, you know, adult children back living at home, Correct. people who are couch yeah. surfing. You know, they, not, right. none they of those, yeah. they, they're not counted as homeless because they have a roof over their head. You're, you're quite right. You're only homeless if you're registered with the homeless yeah. services yeah. unit. Um, and in most cases in Cork, that means going to Drynan Street in the city, which is a shared facility between the county and the city, which we hope will be closed down. The, the Housing Action Group have been on that um, as well because the conditions in that homeless unit are absolutely atrocious. There isn't even a toilet there. There's no changing facilities. Young kids are mixed in with people who have addictions to various substances and so on. It's a terrible thing. And people are sitting by and doing these grand corporate schemes, both city and county, costing multiple millions and they don't provide the the basic services for people. So the Housing Rights and Reform Alliance wishes to change all that and will insist upon it. And to the extent that um, if they have a sway in, in councils, which I think they certainly will have in the next, in the next um, after May, to the extent that if needs be, the state will have to abolish the council because they won't agree budgets unless these crucial issues are addressed for people. Because what is the point? What use is it having councils if these basic services are not provided? Okay, there we'll, is we'll no talk. Point in having them. We'll talk again, uh, Dearman, no doubt. But thank you for that, and yes, uh, thanks uh, for joining yes. us on, on good the programme. Good morning, Chip. That is uh, Independent Councillor Dermot uh, O'Kyla speaking about the launch of that Housing Rights and Reform Alliance that I, that I think we are going to hear a lot more of. John O'Donovan agrees with uh, Dermot. This is to do with the three housing activists who were arrested. He said seven guards going in to arrest three people in our city hall. Uh, crazy situation. The sooner we get a directly elected mayor, um, the better. The If we had a directly elected mayor, he or she could bring in the activists and listen to their views. But arresting people and closing down the whole place is wrong. The public gallery should never be closed to the public. The sooner we get rid of the office of city manager and get a directly elected mayor, uh, the better. Yeah, and as far as I know, they limit it. I'm sure I saw Owen English tweeting about that uh, yesterday. They were limiting the number of people the, the, at the council meeting there was very tight security and public access to the building was restricted and that was following the five hour chamber occupation uh, yesterday 1850 our lines are open John Paul taking your calls text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie C103 now last week we discussed the ongoing closure of the Waterloo Junction since June of this year and the effect it's having on local residents. The issue was raised yesterday evening at a meeting of the Blarney and McCroom Municipal District of Cork County Council, a meeting that was held in McCroom. And joining me uh, to discuss what was said is uh, local county councillor Bob Ryan. Good morning to you, Bob. Good morning. Bob, we've even had the daughter of one of the American tourists killed at that Waterloo Junction say that the permanent closure is very unfair to local uh, residents. 
how and why has it been allowed to remain closed for so long? Well, it's closed under under uh, uh, Chief Executive's order from County Council, and there there are reason for it is on on safety grounds. But um, at last night uh, meeting of the municipal district, with six members of the municipal district, uh, voted um, very clearly to um, uh, not allow the closure of the junction proceed any further, and um, the the, the right of way would not be extinguished now at Waterloo. And are all of the councillors, not just those representing Blarney and McCroom, are all the councillors against the closure? Well, yeah, there was a, a, a IES last week, Cock County Council meeting, brought a special uh, motion to the meeting uh, asking that uh, all support, all, all uh, councillors would support the reopening of the junction. And that happened. There was no councillor voted against it. So there's total, there's, like, not alone are the people locally um, dismayed by the whole closure, but I think all elected members in Cork are absolutely in total disagreement with the way the whole thing has been handled. Yeah, and it isn't very often you get that sort of unity no. where, where, where everybody's singing from the same uh, hymn sheet. We know that there are safety issues that, at, at this junction. What do you believe are the solutions to making this junction safe for everybody to use? Well, you know, that's really a matter for the TII and for Cork, for Cork Council engineers. Um, none of us are engineers or road engineers, but we're all paramount to safety with all of us, uh, absolutely. I and mean, we don't want to see anybody injured or, or uh, a fatal accidents at any junction. But I suppose the reality is that, you know, most accidents are caused by human error rather than... than the, 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 a bad, badly designed junction, I think, and everybody would agree with that as well. But in this case, um, this has been handled badly. The council and TIE need to go away now and, uh, and produce a design which will satisfy the people and make the, the junction workable and practical for the people of Waterloo and Whitechurch to carry on with their lives. Yeah, and I think it's the way the junction was closed, Bob. I mean, it, you know, some would go so far as to say it was kind of done in very sneaky fashion. Initially, people thought that the closure was just to facilitate road resurfacing. Well, uh, yeah, we were all of that opinion, but uh, it's obvious now that there was an ulterior motive to the whole process, which none of us agree with. And uh, I think now, to be fair, though, to Cock County Council and, and their officials, they now realise maybe the thing wasn't done as it should be done, and uh, and should uh, should have been done in a much more open fashion. But I say, from my point of view, and from the other members of the municipal district, we want to move on. Now. We want to move on and get this resolved without any further delay, really. Okay. So, have you any indication when the junction will reopen? Well, uh, last night after we rejected the, the report of Cork County Council to close the right away. The, the officials introduced a left-out-only option, um, which we rejected as well. I mean, at the very the very minimum, I think we will accept, or the people of Waterloo and Whitechurch will accept, is a left-in and a left-out. So we sent off the officials last night to go and speak to the TII today and over the coming days and uh, come back with a, a resolution that makes sense.
and sooner rather than later, says you. Absolutely, okay. within weeks. Within weeks, no, this needs to happen. Okay. All right, uh, Bob, we'll, we'll watch this one closely. Thank you for that. No problem. And Thank uh, you. thanks uh, for joining us. That is Councillor Bob Ryan, representing the Blarney and McCroom, McCroom Municipal District. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Hi, I'm Simon Murdoch. Join me for the all-new Cork's More Music Breakfast on C103. I'll bring you all you need to know every morning and plenty of Cork's greatest hits. Turn on C103 and wake up with me. The all-new Cork's More Music Breakfast. Weekdays 6 to 10. Only on C103. Now, during our outside broadcast for the McCroom Food Festival this year, the case of a young student living in a direct provision centre at Drishan Castle in Mill Street was highlighted by Sheila Nidul of the McCroom Action Group. Now, there's been an update on this story and Sheila once again uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Sheila. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Sheila, you were highlighting the story of 18-year-old Grace Tamwe. Just remind listeners about Grace, how you befriended her and the situation she found herself in. Uh, Well, I was doing, or I do a little bit of choir and music out in Shan Castle, and I heard that there were um, there was a student who uh, was offered a place in Waterford Institute of Technology to do nursing, but she couldn't take it up because um, because international student fees would apply. Uh, so I just gave her a ring and we started talking, and uh, she was telling me that she was about to start a PLC course in McCroom, and we stayed in touch, and she started the course. And then she told me that they were taken into a room, I think, on the third or fourth day of the course and told that suddenly international student fees would apply for this course as well of uh, three and a half thousand euros, um, which was a huge shock because it had never been the case before. And you're living in direct provision and you don't have that kind of money. So she had to walk away from the PLC course. Yeah. Now, I said I would do everything I could to help her. So they did hold her place. Uh, the course director told me, you know, they they were so upset um, in the college and they had no control over it. And she said, we'll hold her place for as long as we can. So you went public with the story, uh, Sheila, and a very generous donor who I believe wants to remain anonymous. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the donor doesn't want anyone to, uh, he doesn't want any recognition or anything. And he offered to sponsor Grace to do this PLC and his only request was that in a few years' time when she sorted that she would do something kind for somebody else and pass oh. it forward. Oh, God, it renews your faith in mankind, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Um, yeah, it really does. And, I mean, it's absolutely fantastic for Grace, but I think it's just worth highlighting as well. You know, this is one amazing thing that has happened for one student but there are still lots of other students facing these difficulties um, in direct vision you know and it's worked out brilliantly for Grace but it does also make me think of all the other students who don't have I suppose a a fairy godfather to come along and yeah. And, and just, just, and, and I know, and and I res- I respect this gentleman's uh, anonymity. Did you know this gentleman, or was he nope. was he a com- oh, complete stranger to you? Complete okay. stranger. Stay there because I'm told Grace is actually on the other line. Uh, good morning to you, Grace. 
Good morning. How are you? And you've stepped out of college, stepped out of a lecture to talk to us. So, so we, we appreciate that. Um, how did you hear about this anonymous donor who was going to pay for your fees? Um, all the information, um, I got it off uh, from Schiller. I had no clue. I had um, no contact whatsoever. And I was just hoping that Sheila would pull through for me. So it was kind of me putting my faith on someone else, you know. And obviously you and, and the family absolutely thrilled and delighted that you can now go to college. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I was actually really delighted. My whole family was because this opportunity doesn't just happen for anybody, you know. I was not expecting it. It was just something I was like, okay, let me put my faith on it. But I didn't really thought that a generous person would actually do something this generous for me, to be exact. And and I know you'll do exactly what the man said, that when you get sorted and you've got a job, you'll do an act of kindness for somebody and pass it on to somebody else. Oh, yeah, most definitely, yeah. You're, you're only here, is it two years, um, Grace, when you came to Ireland? Yeah, two years this year, yeah. You came from the Democratic Republic of the Congo? That's correct. Now, you're one of the very unusual cases, Grace. As, as a 16-year-old, you arrived here on your own. I did, yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, how, how that came about? How did you end up in Ireland on your own at 16, such a young age? Oh, yeah. Um, I, was, I was really young when I was separated from my family back home in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I was taken in under the care of my uncle's friend who um, took care of me for almost six years of my life. And um, there came a time where he could not be able to take care of me anymore because he got in trouble with the law back in South Africa. And uh, he had to send me off to somewhere where he knew that he had people who were going to take over for me because he couldn't send me back to my parents because we never had contact by then. So um, that's when he decided to make documentation for me to come over here. And um, that's how I found myself here and everything just turned upside down from there. Did you, had you ever heard of Ireland before you came? Oh, no, I had no idea where I was going. I just knew that I'm boarding and he told me wherever I go, I should show um, my um, my travel documents to any securities on the road and they'll be able to point out to me where I'm going until where my destination will be. That's why it was easy for the immigration to take me off because I had no clue where I was going, who I was meeting or anything like that. Goodness, that's a, a scary, scary place to be. It was a blind flight. Yeah, for, for a 16-year-old. And are, are you now glad that it was Ireland that you ended up in, Grace? I am. I am because, to be honest, if they had to send me, if you had to send me to any other country, I don't think I'll ever be able to rejoin my parents like I it is I think it's all fate it is yeah and you have been reunited with your mother and some of your siblings yeah all my siblings all your siblings okay yeah except my dad unfortunately but we we, we're hoping to to find him do you have you any contact with your dad no we don't know Uh, my dad is a military officer so he's it's kind of hard to find him if he's in hiding. Yeah, and it's the fact that he was a military officer that put put 
you and your family in such a dangerous place when you when you when you lived in in the Congo and you're obviously going through the 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 refugee status process at the moment are you with your mother and, yes, and your siblings yeah and and and, and we're still awaiting first response we haven't gotten any and what age are your brothers my older brother is 19 and um my other siblings is 16 and one is yet to turn 13 and the last born is only 11 months so they're still in school. Yeah, they the, are. The yeah. young, the younger ones are, are in school. And your nineteen-year-old brother, what's he doing? Um, he's working because um, he got turned off by the fact that you have to be three of the last five years in the country for you to go to university or study further. So he applied for a work permit and he got it. So he's working and um, he's hoping by the time the whole situation will be sorted out, um, he can go back take up a course in university. And it's it's nursing, isn't it, um, Grace, what you, it, it ultimately what you want to do? Did, did, did I hear some? It's a mid, mid, midwifery? Midwifery, yes, it is. That's what you'd love to do? Yes. Is that something you've always wanted to do? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Since I was a really young child. It's like a passion that I wanted to explore out. Yeah, I think it's a lovely part of nursing to be at the beginning of life. Yeah. There's something very, uh, very special about it. Um, Sheila, it is really a good news story, as you say, but it's a good news story for Grace. But unfortunately, many others not as lucky. Exactly. Yeah. And I think if you if you're living in Ireland, you do your leaving cert, uh, you study hard and you get your points and you get your offer on the CAO and all that. I think I don't understand why you, you aren't free to continue your studies with all the other Leaving Cert students that you study alongside. Um, so I'm going to keep writing letters and uh, asking people to, to try and do something about this so that any of these students who are working through our school system have a chance to go to college. So Grace, what course are you doing at the moment? You're in McCroom, isn't it, doing the course? Yeah, I'm in McKeegan College I'm doing a pre-nursing course. Okay, oh, and that, and then the plan is that that will get you. Will that get you into UCC for nursing? Um, I need to get um, my uh, my distinction, um, and from there on, I can reapply for a scholarship because at this stage, a scholarship is the only thing that can take me to university, and okay. UCC is working hand in hand with me to um, help me apply to facilitate for it that. And, yeah. yeah. So uh, fingers crossed. Are you studying really hard? I am. I am. Yeah. Okay. Listen. Uh, it's it's a lovely story. Good luck to you, uh, Grace, with your studies. And Sheila, well done to you for for doing your best on behalf of uh, Grace. And uh, thanks for joining us on the program this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks. Good morning, Chick. Good morning. Bye bye. Good morning. Uh, that is uh, Grace. Tamway, I hope I'm pronouncing her name uh, right, and uh, Sheila Nidul. I mean, it is one of those really awful situations where people come. I mean, you can just imagine what life must have been like in the Democratic Republic of the Congo for a family to decide that their young daughter wasn't safe. So they sent their daughter away to South Africa. So she was separated for many years from her parents and, and her other siblings, but they got her away to keep her safe. And then at 16 to be put on a plane and you haven't got a clue 
where where you were going. It's just it's shocking. But I think when they do when they when they arrive in this country and we look after them in the direct provision centres and and nobody says the direct provision centres are like Disneyland. That's for sure. They can be tough enough places to live. But I think in situations like this where we've got young children who come up through direct provision and they work really hard in school and they do their very best and they get their the points that they need for for whatever course it is that they want to do and then stumbling blocks are straight away put in the way because obviously there's no way anybody living in direct provision would be able to pay the international student fee uh, rates and it is it does renew my faith in humanity when somebody who obviously is in a position that they have enough money that they're able to give a little bit and that's not going to affect them in any way that they can be philanthropic and that they can be generous and when somebody who doesn't even know Sheila doesn't even know Grace and decides well I can do something I can help out that girl I can pay her student uh, fees and they do it anonymously so they're not doing it for any glory they're not doing it to say look at me aren't I great look I'm giving giving money here to this young girl so well done to whoever whoever that generous donor was you would like to think it is somebody uh, locally uh, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three, and Tim is pointing out who is the the senior politician in the McCroom area where Grace is going to college. It is, of course, Minister Mike Creed, Minister for Agriculture, whose department gives money uh, in by way of overseas uh, aid. Should we be looking after these people when they're uh, in our own uh, country? Let's take a break. We're going to news at. 11 o'clock I will take a look at your calls and comments that come in throughout the first hour of the programme and of course Leah Niriada presidential candidate for Sinn Féin is going to join us in the next hour You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed Susan has been on by text looking for help please well, she's looking for name contact details or somebody to point her in the right direction she's looking for a person who could help an injured owl who was found with a badly damaged wing in Ahakisha in Kilavolan and Susan. They're obviously looking after the owl at the moment, but they really don't know where to go. So can anybody point us in the right direction? Either tell us where Susan can bring this injured owl or give us a name and our contact number that we can ring and get the advice and the information that uh, Susan needs. As I say, she's in the Kilavolan area and I'm assuming that owl has been found in the last day or so. Uh, So if you can help us out on that one, please do. Now, we were talking in the last hour, well, we had a couple of uh, council issues. We were talking about housing and homelessness and the problem with homelessness. And we were talking about the Waterloo Junction and the fact that it's the executive of Cork County Council have closed the Waterloo Junction since June of this year. And there isn't one member, elected member of Cork County Council, who agrees with the decision to keep this junction at Waterloo uh, closed. It was closed initially, so the resurfacing work could go on. And then as soon as it was closed, the news came through that it was going to be permanently closed. And it's only, I think, thanks to the residents who've been totally discommoded by what has been going on. And not even the residents. I mean, Diane Baker, who we spoke with on this programme, whose dad... James died at that. He was one of the American tourists who died at that junction. She came out last week and said that she never wanted this junction to be permanently closed and can see the effect that it's having on local people and all of the elected members of Gore County Council saying the same thing. Well, a text in to say it seems that democracy doesn't exist in Cork County Council. Uh, Officialdom dictates to elected councillors and refusing to accept their democratic decisions. The job of CEOs, etc., is 
to advise the elected members, not wave the finger or even worse, two fingers at them, says a, a texter. And somebody else picking up on when I mentioned about the voids and the number of empty houses. Listeners saying they live in an estate where a house has been emptied for over six months. The person who left the house left it perfectly. The keys should have been handed out the following weekend, but it still remains uh, vacant. And there was a piece that made the papers yesterday looking at the thousands of voids that are around the country. I think there's more than 3,600 council-owned houses who are lying vacant. So, I mean, they really are the low-hanging fruit when you look at how bad the housing crisis is. But at least 3,600 houses, if they could be turned around, it would take 3,600 people off the housing list nationwide. But there was one house in particular, and there was pictures in, I think it was the Irish Independent, I saw the pictures. It's a house in Leagueslip, lovely, fine, three-bedroomed uh, house. And it has been, it was sold to Kildare County Council for 300,000 back in July of 2016. But nobody has moved in to the house since it was sold by the owner and the house is a furnished three bedroomed house but the reason I mean it in itself is a disgrace that it's been sitting there and nobody has moved in but this house is very close to a hotel the Leak Slip House Hotel that actually is used as emergency hotel accommodation by the local council and it was in that hotel in September of last year where a mother of two Daniela Carl a 27 year old she ended up homeless she ended up staying in that hotel and she actually took her own life while living in that hotel leaving behind two little boys of uh, one seven and uh, a little uh, baby under the age of two a 20 month old uh, child and the same young mother had been she she was from Tala she had been allocated a house with South Dublin County Council but it was later withdrawn. She was desperate for a house and unfortunately she took her own uh, life and yet just around the corner close to that hotel where she died we have this house lying idle since over two years now and the former owner of the house he's kind of scratching his head going I cannot understand why nobody's been allowed to move into this house it's an ideal uh, family home he's a gentleman by the name of Brian McTiernan he said he sold the property to the council lock stock with everything in it he sold it furnished he said for example there's a three piece suite in there there's a table there's chairs there's beds everything is in the kitchen they left all the pots and pans he literally walked out and handed the keys uh, over Uh, so he thought that sort of very very quickly somebody would have moved in but nobody has moved in in over two years and he's fearing now that the property has gone into disrepair the fact that it has been lying idle there's been no heating on nobody's opened the windows you know for two years it's got to be now when you go in now to try and you're going to have to do much more work than you would have to do at the time that Mr Tiernan uh, sold down this property. It, it really is uh, shocking. But there's also a list then and a breakdown of the local authority housing stock, how many houses each council has. For example, Cork City is third on the list. The most houses, obviously, owned by the councillor in Dublin City and then followed by South Dublin County. But then Cork City is next, just under 9,000 local authority properties. That's followed by Cork County. They've got just under 8,000 properties. But then when you look at the percentage that are vacant, Cork City has 3.29% of their properties vacant. Cork County, I have to say, is doing much better. 
they've under 2%, 1.87. It's still too many. It's still too many. And the grand total altogether is 3,600 council-owned houses are vacant, the so-called voids, as uh, as is how they are described, and they are vacant around the country. We need to get those sorted out, lads, and sooner uh, rather than later. Uh, 1850-333-103. Leonie Rieda is going to be joining us live in studio, presidential candidate for the Sinn Féin party. I can already see some questions coming in for uh, Leah. If you have a question for Leah, get it into us. You can either call John Paul, 1850-333-103. You can text your WhatsApp, 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. The Clonakilty Park Hotel. They've got vacancies for experienced bar staff. While Fleming's 4x4 there in Boerbway, they've got a vacancy for experienced full-time and part-time diesel mechanic. And Kinsale Dental, they're looking for two fully qualified dental nurses to work full or part-time. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. We are now into the final week of a campaign for the presidential election and Leonie Ria, that is the first and only candidate, can I say, who's taken time out to join us live in studio to lay out why people should give her their number one vote next Friday and she joins me in studio. Good morning to you, Leah. Morning to you, And uh, you are very welcome. Okay, how is the cam- campaign going and is it a very different campaign than what the campaign you would do for European election? Well, firstly, the campaign is going very well. The ground support has been phenomenal. um, And I think there is an appetite for change. In terms of it being different from the European elections, yes, it is. The European elections is very much policy and politically based, uh, and rightly so. And even though the presidential campaign is is not about politics per se, I still think you need to have a good grasp of what politics are all about. And you you need to have those credentials. So it's a funny mix of the two, really. And then, of course, the media try to spin it into a highly personalised campaign. But sure, look, you're probably aware of that before you ever even enter into it. So I, I was expecting that. Um, but so far, it's going really, really well. And you know what? It's an opportunity, I suppose, to have met so many people. I've travelled every single county. The issues are very much alike in a lot of country, counties, particularly, I think, rural Ireland, when we see our farmers, for instance, who are being completely ignored. Uh, and are going to be in big trouble because of cuts to cap that we're going to see coming down the Brexit, tracks. But that's yeah. that's wearing my European hat yeah. and I've been told stop talking about European issues. But it is an issue that is hugely impacting on rural life because, look, small farmers and family farms are going to be a thing of the past if it's not really addressed as a matter of urgency by the, by our own government. But that's for the doll to uh, debate and decide on that. So you, you've, you've no regrets about because the one thing about the presidential elections, they get very personal. <coughs> Can I say unfairly so? I mean, even Joan Freeman has had to come out uh, today and her daughter has had to come out and talk about her sexuality, which has got nothing to do with the presidential election. I absolutely agree. It's the nature of it. I think that, you know, nobody is above scrutiny uh, and all candidates have to be scrutinised. But I think we need to be scrutinised on our track record, on our credentials. You know, what makes you the better president or the better candidate for the job? Uh, But undoubtedly, yes, it goes down every time we have a presidential election. It does go down that personal route. And I think you have to be prepared for that. Um, And look, I suppose I'm in politics now a while. 
you have to have a bit of a thick skin and realize that is the nature of of the business we're in and you have to be able to stand over your your own credentials and your track record something that I'm quite happy to do. So you have to be secure in yourself, I think, first and yeah. foremost. OK, the, the last week has been dominated by Peter Casey's comment about the travelling community. Subsequently, his thoughts on people on, on social welfare. Has all of that very much taken away from the debate, those issues? I believe it has. And look, I don't really want to be legitimising Peter Casey and his dreadful comments by giving him more airspace. I think that the debate tonight should very much be focused on the next seven years. Where do we want Ireland to go and what is the vision that we have for Ireland for the next seven years? I'm about the future and I'm about talking about what kind of a future and what kind of an island we need to be living on. And I'd very much like to follow in the footsteps of Mary McAleese and Mary Robinson, who I think were very effective in pushing out the boundaries. Mary McAleese did tremendous work for peace and reconciliation and healing in the north. Uh, That's something that I'd like to build on. She used the discretionary fund, of which we don't have an account of yet, but that's up to Michael D. Higgins to publish those accounts. But she used that money for uh, peace and reconciliation in the North. And I think that was a very wise way to use that money. And now that we have Brexit, which everybody doesn't want to talk about, but it's reality, we have to bite the, the you know, grab, grab it there and say, yes, we have to deal with that. Um, I think it's more important now than ever that we reach out the hand of friendship and talk about what kind of a united Ireland or what kind of an Ireland we want to live in for our kids. Yeah, because I saw you, I mean, you went up north and you brought your campaign bus uh, with you, not that you can get any votes uh, up north. I know we had a question in uh, during the week when I mentioned you were coming on from Anne-Marie saying, does Leah uh, feel the people of the six counties should have a vote in the presidential election? And was that something that people spoke to you about when you went up north? Absolutely. And I think it was very important that I did go up to Belfast and I was in Derry as well for the Civil Rights March. But just to show solidarity with saying, look, we all share this island. They are as Irish as I am or as you are. They deserve to have a say in this presidential campaign. Unfortunately, they don't. And I think it was important to show them that sense of, look, if I am elected as president, I will be Uchtaran for everybody, north, south, east and west. And it's about reaching out that hand and building on those bridges. And as I said, Mary McAleese did it very well. Um, I think having garden parties and all that is very well and good and it's part of the job but I think it has to be more about a broader sense of engagement and reaching out and actually physically going and having those difficult conversations Uh, and certainly one of the things that I want to bring about is those difficult conversations that we are now at a time in our lives where we can talk about the future of this country. Okay, you haven't, you're not that happy with uh, Michael D. Higgins and um, the, the latest is the OPW maintaining his garden of his private residence and you've written a letter Okay. Firstly, talk about what 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 you've discovered from the from the OPW work that you believe has been done. Well, I suppose, Erigiadochis, I want to say that this is not about diminishing any of the accomplishment that Michael D. Higgins has achieved. He's had a long life in, in politics. He's been over 50 years, half a century in politics, and he's achieved a lot in that time. He was a party of the Labour. He was president of the Labour Party. Uh, Labour minister and all of that. So I don't want in any way to diminish the work that he has done. But however, I do think it's about accountability and about transparency. And I start as I mean to go on. And I don't think any office should be above scrutiny, particularly such an office as the Uchtaran, because, look, it's taxpayers' money. They need to know what, what it's being spent on. And it came to my attention that the OPW had done some uh, work on his private residence in Galway. And it was about finding out the facts of that, because I think we also have to look at it, the facts and not you know, media spin or narrative. It's about the facts. And that's what I'm trying to get to the bottom of, irrespective of the campaign or irrespective of the election. These questions need to be answered. So it was the OPW carrying out work on his private residence. I understand there was security involved in that, but there was also landscape gardening. 
Um, and I just want clarification on that. And then, of course, by now, everybody knows about the Learjet. And the PSNI did come out and say that it wasn't a security issue. So if you're going to say one thing on a debate and say it's a security issue and then change your tune again, we need clarification on that. And then, of course, there's the, the 317,000 uh, that we have no account for. If that was me, I can guarantee you I would be hauled over the coals and rightly so to explain myself. And I'm only saying that we should have the same rule uh, or due diligence applied to every public office. And would you cut back on expenses? Do you think too much has been spent by the ORs? I would, of course. And I think it's also on how you spend it. Um, certainly when you look at the environment, Patricia, and taking a Learjet 100 miles up the road, from an environmental and from an economical point of view makes no sense. Um, and I would be looking at having a more carbon neutral and also I think again coming back to Mary McAleese and spending that money that she did on the ground in the six counties. I know for instance that she invited kids or children down to the Oars uh, at the time of the marches and stuff like that so that they would be taken out of that conflict situation and it was about all of that practical application of the funds certainly for that I think great and that's something that I would love to build on um, but I think in the time when so many families are struggling when we have people who can't afford to put their hands in their pockets for food we have soup kitchens we were talking about this in the time of the European elections soup kitchens and food banks and there's more of them now than ever uh, and it's not it's not good enough so I also would like to say that for me and people that know me <coughs> know that I don't stand back and I want to be an outspoken president. And I do think it's healthy to create a, a kind of a tension between the office of the president and the government. I do think it's about the president standing up for the ordinary people. They're the ones that elect you. And you have a duty of responsibility and care to hold the government to account. And you can actually go into the Houses of Arachthus. Yes, they approve your speech. But that doesn't mean that you still don't address them. Mary Robinson did it very effectively when she spoke about immigration. And do you know what? The government were uncomfortable with that speech. But I'm sorry, it had to be heard and it had to be done. So I think it's about that. I think it's about bringing that freshness and that new voice to the oars. OK, and just speaking about Michael Tehean, somebody earlier says, uh, Patricia, please ask Leah why she and others have been so nasty to Michael D. Higgins. He's been a wonderful president, never insulting anyone in, in the process. He's a gentleman. He always knows his place wherever he goes. I'm sure he will be in the Oris again uh, next week. And a sense of it was a little bit uncomfortable watching the debate. Did you do you find that difficult having a go at this elder statesman, somebody who I know you like and have and are friendly with? Well, on a personal level, of course, uh, because, you, as you say, we are friendly and have known each other for many years. But in one regard, it's all the more reason that I have to be I have to be accountable and I have to be transparent. I am a public representative. I'm elected for a reason, and that is to hold people to account, you know, and be that voice for the ordinary people. Michael D. Higgins, yes, he's a lovely man. There's no question about that. But I would also say he's not above scrutiny either. Uh, and he's long enough in politics himself at this stage to know that you have to be accountable. You have to be transparent. Uh, and it's not in any way, as I said, trying to diminish any of his accomplishments, but it's about affording the same level of scrutiny to Ophigan Uchtaran as it is to any other public representative. And if I didn't do that, I would be doing a disservice uh, to the people of Ireland. So can we expect more of the same tonight then? I really want tonight to be about the next seven years. And I want to be able to give my message because in all of this, um, you get a sense that the message of what we're about and certainly what I'm about is 
is being turned into something else when I really want to talk about what I want to do for the next seven years and it's about the future and it's about creating a safer place it's about being more humanitarian in our approach it's about being inclusive it's about having a united Ireland as part of the conversation it's about mitigating the impact of Brexit it's about working within the parameters of Oris Nochtaran to be able to achieve that and I believe I'm well placed to do that in terms of credentials I also think that it's very important that the Nochtaran has Gaelge the Bunrath is written in Irish uh, and takes precedence over the English version of it. I'm from the Gaeltacht and for me it's a very, very important part of our identity, our culture. And that's something that I want to bring to the Aarhus as well. So for me it's about the future and that conversation should be about that tonight. Not a kind of, I hope it doesn't become a scrappy kind of a thing like we saw on Pat Kenny. And might I add, just on the Pat Kenny one, I found it a bit odd because Joan and I are the only two female candidates. It's a pity there aren't more. And it was a bit like being at an old boys club because we had to fight tooth and nail to get ourselves heard on Pat Kenny. And even at that, I felt we were dismissed. Uh, And I was suddenly thinking to myself, you know, we're 51 percent of the population. We haven't once talked about the mother and baby homes, the two and babies. You know, the fact that women's equality has really not come to the fore. And it was very, very clear to me on the Pat Kenny debate that women's equality was not to the forefront because Why would any woman go into politics when you have to fight tooth and nail to get even the same? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Level of respect that male candidates might get. So that was an eye opener. So look at I hope tonight will be a respectful debate. It should be about the future. And that's what I'm about. Actually, when you mentioned the Gwail talk, Breather was on earlier to say, Patricia, I'd be most grateful if you could ask Leah this this morning on your programme. Why in her literature does she state she was brought up in West Cork Gwail talks? She was brought up in Coulee. She lives in Ballyvorney. I live close to both of these places. Uh, and Coulee and Ballyvorney are always known as Mid Cork. This is offensive to all us people who are so proud of our area. It certainly would not get my vote why is she misleading people? That's not misleading people at all. I suppose people generally look at that area as West Cork, even though it's mid-North Cork, actually. Um, And this is no excuse, really, for me. I apologise to that listener. Uh, I'm certainly very, very proud to be from Coulee and living in Balavorna. 
uh, and you can't control every single little bit of literature that goes out from your office. Um, I'm still trying to keep everything in Brussels going. I'm proposing legislation. I'm multitasking in the extreme. So I apologise to that that person. Would, would you always have said you were West Cork or would you always said you were Mid Cork? I'd always say West Cork. Yeah. Always West Cork. And I suppose without really thinking or looking at the geography of it, you, you just automatically go West Cork or people would say, oh, you're from West Cork. And I kind of go, yeah. And then they say, oh, you're a Skibbereen area. And I'd say, no, no, no. And I always say we're about, you know, seven miles out of the county bounds of Kerry. So again, it's a... Semantic, but nonetheless, things, it's yeah, one I, of those I, things. I've, I've heard neighbours argue over it's mid Now it's West Cork, so I mean, I wouldn't, as, and you can't please all of the people uh, all of the time, unfortunately. Somebody else wants to know, and I know you've uh, addressed this before, but let's uh, address it again. Why is there no uh, Sinn Fein prominently on your literature? And another listener said, I happened to notice on my way to Mass on Sunday uh, in the Holy Trinity that Leonie Reader's posters had red stickers on them saying, Put a rebel in the Aorus, wondering if this is an official stance or somebody taking liberties. Somebody taking liberties. Is it? Uh, <laughs> I, I would imagine it's somebody from the rebel county. Yeah, I uh, would as well. Giving a nod to the fact that I'm from Cork. Certainly in terms of the literature, the, the posters and all of that, it was a very conscious decision. Uh, most of the posters, look, Michael D. Higgins was a Labour candidate before he ever became Wachteron. Uh, and for me, and Martin McGuinness didn't have the Sinn Féin logo on his posters either. So it's about giving a message that although I'm a Sinn Féin candidate, I am a candidate for all of the people and it's not about being any one particular party. You are above party politics once you become an Uachtaran and that's my intention. Okay, you, um, the in the opinion polls, um, if, if they are to be believed, Michael D. Higgins is uh, home and dry. Were you disappointed that you polled below the support for the Sinn Féin party at the weekend? Well, firstly, I think that poll was done well before some of the debates happened. Uh, so you have to put it in that context. And look, of course, you wouldn't be human if you weren't disappointed. But what I'm getting on the ground is very different from what the polls are saying. And I was reminded, actually, the other day when I was, I suppose, talking to my husband about it and saying, crikey, the polls are very bad. Uh, and he said, look, when you were going for the European elections, they didn't even rate you to get the fourth seat. So and I came in at a very, very high number, 125,000 people voted for me and I got second seat um, after Brian Crowley. So, you know, a lot can happen on it on polling day. It's it's not something you can predict. We couldn't predict Brexit, for instance. So we just have to wait and see. And but do you reckon you have the support of the grassroots Sinn Féin party? Oh, there's no question about that. And I have travelled to every county and the support I've got from our grassroots has been phenomenal. They're out canvassing every single area day and night. So the support has been tremendous. I don't know where that figure is coming from in the polls. I, to be quite honest, I can't understand it myself. Where, when you when you said in one of the debates that you would wear the Sinn Féin, that you would wear the poppy, um, did, th- did that upset some Sinn Féin members? Well, it was a very, I suppose, internal struggle for me. It wasn't and, and a question. And by the way, had you thought about that answer? Did you know that question was coming? Not at all. No. Not okay. at all. So you can imagine my absolute panic when I was asked this question because it wasn't something that I'd given any huge amount of thought to. So I had to think on my feet and I had to start thinking about, well, as Uchtaran, what would you do? And I understand that the symbol of the poppy is, is offensive to many and to everybody in Sinn Féin, really, and Republicans and nationalists all over because of the atrocities committed uh, by by the British uh, army against them and even Bloody Sunday, Bally Murphy, all of that. So I can understand how those emblems can really, really be offensive. But at the same time, I had to start thinking about if as Uchtaran, I'd have to make bold gestures if we are really genuine about reaching out the hand of of friendship and saying, look, to the unionists, you don't have anything to fear. 
uh, even in having a conversation and it is those uncomfortable conversations. Now, I would be more comfortable looking at the shamrock poppy, which is probably more fitting. But on the day of that question from the debate, I thought, yeah, this is bigger than me uh, and it has to be bigger than me, really. And yes, it was incredibly uncomfortable for me to do that. But again, I had to put myself to one side in that regard and think, no, this is about how we can create a better future. And it also ties in with what as to why you haven't got Sinn Féin in your poster. You're, you're going to be, if you were elected a president for all of the people. Did you get a backlash? Did you get any, any did anybody in Sinn Féin pull you up on it, say anything to you? Well, understandably, people were concerned. Um, but the message was, this wasn't me saying to my Sinn Féin supporters, everybody has to wear some kind of poppy. Not at all. This would be me as Uchtron, not as Sinn Féin. Um, and having said that, I got quite a number of surprising support from people who would be completely opposed to the poppy and rightfully so but and who did say that publicly but who are still going out canvassing for me so that was really you know I think it it gave people a, an insight perhaps into how you have to make these moves and you have to look to the future and be above all of all of the kind of conflict and issues that are there if you really are to tackle those awkward questions that you have to make these gestures so I hope I did that with some kind of integrity on the night. Well, yeah, if nothing else, you were honest. You can, people can never take that away from you. Jim says, Patricia, if Leah becomes president, will she and her husband and three children all move into Oris, the Oris? And how will the children cope with change of schools and the likes? What a marvellous question. And I tell you, I have the answer for that because it's not the first time I've been asked. My, I certainly, first of all, I don't believe in a culture of a first lady or first husband or first family. They are not running for Oris and Uthran. I am. Uh, my husband is a very private individual and my children are very well settled in their schools. Uh, so it would be about me living in the Oris. I'm a modern, progressive working woman and I wouldn't be endorsing a culture of first family in this country. I have been quite an independent woman for a long time. I have gone to many state events on my own. Uh, in Europe and dealing with different international leaders. Uh, I don't have an issue with that. And I think that's about being that modern, capable, progressive woman that although I hugely, my husband is incredible, I couldn't be here without him in terms of support. Uh, but nonetheless, I don't need to have him by my side when I'm carrying out the duties of Ufgan He is not standing for election. Neither are my children. It's an added expense to the ORS as well, which I don't think the ORS or the taxpayer should be footing the bill for that. So you'd move in there on your own? I'd move in there on my own and we'll figure it out as we're going. Will you get two dogs? I have two dogs already and I'm sure my two dogs would not be at all happy to be moving up to the Oris. But yeah, I'm a great animal lover. Our house is like a menagerie with two two cats and a recently added stray cat to that as well. So but it's something that I think we have to figure out as time goes by. But certainly my, my own view is, look, we shouldn't be endorsing a culture of first family or first lady or first anything in this country. It's at the cost of the taxpayer. Um, for me, I'm a modern working woman and I think okay. it's time to bring that to the other I suppose ours. Mick probably has Brexit. I know it's not, this is not about Brexit, but probably has Brexit in his mind. He wants to know with the fact that you are electioneering and going around the country. Uh, who is representing us in, in Brussels? Who's doing the work in Brussels while you're over here? And are you drawing your wages and allowance for this period? I am drawing my wages and allowance, which is within my right to do so, as other MEPs who have gone for presidential candidates in their own countries. Uh, you are given that. And I can tell you this, my team is still working away very hard in Brussels. 
I actually go over legislation every day when I'm in the car between media and between different canvases. Uh, so I'm double, triple jobbing, if you like, in that sense, because I have to keep an eye on that because my responsibility, of course, as an MEP is to my constituents. And so we have things coming up in the Budget Committee, particularly I've been safeguarding the rights of the fisheries and safeguarding the rights of our farmers because cap is going to be cut. So I have to keep a very close eye on that and to ensure that I'm very much hard and very much have my fingerprints on all the legislation that's going through to mitigate the impact of Brexit. I could do a full programme with you on Brexit and the implications for our farmers, uh, something that I've been fighting tooth and nail for to maintain it at its level. But we are going to have seven years the without boring the listeners to absolute snoozing them off but I think it's very important that we realise that once Brexit happens we now are going into a seven year framework of the EU budget I'm working closely on one of nine MEPs working with President Tajani on that budget for the next seven years and I think it's really important to have that voice there to say look we are not going to lose cap or we're not going to see a diminishing of those resources uh, while at the same time increasing resources for militarisation for instance I've been a huge defender of our neutrality and our sovereignty but that work is still being done although I'm in the car and I'm travelling around Cork and heading to Dublin today that work is very much being done OK, Councillor Paul Hayes says, very proud of our candidate, Leonie Rieda. I've had the pleasure of working with Leah in her role as MEP since 2014 and I've seen her, seen firsthand her capabilities, especially her work with rural and coastal regions. I firmly believe that her life experience, her own cultural credentials, as well as a proud Rieda and her huge credibility with European leaders is a perfect fit for the next seven years as president for a new and a changed Ireland. And that's from Sinn Féin Councillor in West Cork, uh, Paul Hayes. OK, if you get elected at the end of the seven years, Leah, how would you like to be remembered and what would you like to have achieved? Well, firstly, I'd like to say that seven years, I think, is enough for anybody. I think if you haven't made your mark in Horace and Othron in one term, who's to say that you're going to make it in the second term? So that's ever a hand. And ever though for me, the legacy I would like to have achieved would be certainly that we'd have moved closer, if not having achieved a referendum on Irish unity, that we have moved closer to that more inclusive, caring Ireland, Ireland that we are looked to from other countries as being the epitome of inclusiveness, of equality, of fairness, um, and that we lead the way in many, many respects in terms of conflict resolution and peace and reconciliation and healing. And I think it's time to build on the Good Friday Agreement legislation, by the way, which I proposed and was passed in the European Parliament that is now used as part of the key negotiations in Brexit. But I think it's time to build on that and that we now need to take it a step further. I think if you leave things stagnant, you're not going to change. So I think it's about the Good Friday Agreement was always about peace and reconciliation. I now think it's time to take it the next step and see what can we do to talk about a more inclusive Ireland where we're more caring. And I will be addressing the houses of Arachthus on the big issues such as housing, homelessness, all of that. And basically, I want to be remembered for being somebody who stood up for the ordinary Irish people, as I have been doing in Europe. Will you only run for one term? And if you don't get elected this time round, will you consider running next term? Well, I can certainly guarantee you that I will only run for one term and I'm not returning on that. Uh, as regards running for a next uh, next campaign, crikey, we'll get this one over the way first before I even consider that. OK, so the debate is tonight. Um, are you looking forward to it? Are you nervous about it? Do you get nervous about those debates? There'd How be something. I, I suppose there'd be something wrong with you if you weren't nervous. Um 
But at the same time, I'm confident enough in the work that I've done. I'm confident enough in my, I think if you're true to yourself and if you're honest about who you are and be yourself, well, then there's nothing to be nervous about because you have to kind of own yourself and own your your politics and be comfortable in where you're coming from uh, to give you that sense of self. And I, I think I've always had that. So that's an advantage to me. Um, but look, we'll have to wait and see how the debate goes. I really do hope that that it goes towards let's have a clear spelling out of what you would do as Uthran for the next seven years, rather getting rather than going down some strange rabbit hole with the likes of Peter Casey or anybody else. You know, it should be about that. It should also be about that accountability, though. Accountability. Nobody can escape from that. Okay, and what's by the way at the end of it? What's the atmosphere like? Does everybody just go off in different directions, or are you all bodies at the end? Does everybody? Well, I I believe that it should be about being professional Uh, and I'm always it's not in my nature not to be like that anyway. So I'd always shake hands and I'd say, well done and, you know, see you again and good luck with that. Because look, it doesn't cost anything to be pleasant to people. Yeah. okay, nice to be nice. All right, Leonie, we wish you the best of luck in the presidential election on Friday. We thank you for joining us in the studio. Good morning to you. For today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Sorry that we didn't get to all your questions and all your texts that came in from Aaliyah. Let me just look at some of the uh, the ones. And apologies to Anne. I've only just seen your question. She was wondering why Leah is using a Northern Ireland registered bus. I have no idea. We'll see if we can try and get an answer uh, to that. And John Paul says there was a lot of people on the line talking about Coulee uh, and Ballyvorney. Is it in West Cork or is it in Mid Cork? Because we had an earlier WhatsApp in from a listener who took great umbrage to the fact that on Leah's printed documentation says she's from West Cork and this listener said it's not. It is mid-Cork. Eileen is in McCroom and Eileen admits some of us would identify with West Cork. Others will identify with North Cork and others will say it is mid-Cork. I can see why I, I could very much understand what Leah was saying about Coulee and West Cork. And yeah, and there's, I suppose there's no right and no wrong uh, really to that particular answer. OK, some of your texts that have come in, a very good interview. I believe this lady would make a very good president. That's Leah Nirieda. Someone else said she's canonising herself. I'm changing programmes now. Another listener says, Patricia, I'm so annoyed listening to Leah saying she would be a voice for the ordinary people. Does that mean she thinks she's extraordinary? Will somebody tell me where are these extraordinary people who supposedly speak for ordinary people? The politicians certainly don't qualify for that title. And by the way, ordinary people can work out where an area is. And West Cork is not North or Mid Cork, says this. Well, according to one of our listeners, there's a huge big difference. And she took great offence to is saying it was West Cork when it should be mid-Cork. Someone else says Michael D. Higgins is too old and he's coming across as a gold digger, says uh, someone. Also in uh, Pat says, Morning Patricia, one thing the presidential candidate should not do is tell Porkies. This applies to President Michael D. Higgins as well. But he's falling short because he said seven years ago he would run for one term. It's amazing what money and perks can do to a person. And that's from Pat. 
I know Michael D. Higgins has defended. He did clearly say seven years ago he'd only run for one uh, term, but uh, he has spoken at length about that, saying it's, you know, all the people saying to him he should run again and he feeling he didn't know seven years ago health-wise how he would be because obviously he was going to be seven years older and in his late 70s where he is now. So I suppose he couldn't speak as to how he was going to be in seven years' time and that was, I suppose, another reason why he decided to give it a, a wait and see. But as you know, somebody was making the point last week, if that was the case, he should have said seven years ago, I'll run for this term and then let me decide in seven years time whether I want another term. But that certainly wasn't what he did. OK, some of your WhatsApps, there's a lot of WhatsApps uh, in. Somebody says, can you tell... Oh, it's not somebody that put a name on it. Sean Spillane in Carrig Navarre. He calls Leah a so-called Sinn Féin candidate. Genuine Irish Republicans like me despise what Sinn Féin has become. They're nothing but liberal PC West Brits. And and, and I'm synopsizing because I'm not going to get into everything, Sean. That's Sean's views on the Sinn Féin uh, party. Heidi says, morning, Patricia. Sorry, but your presidential candidate, Leonie Reid, uh, when she was speaking, she said she did not want to speak on Peter Casey's comments about the travelling community and about people living on social welfare. She only wants to look forward uh, to Ireland's future. Sorry, what was said was relevant to Ireland's future. Money comes into everything. Also, what's happening with the country people. So it is important that we listen to what Peter Casey had to say. Micah says, Patricia, all five candidates have turned the presidential election into an election of envy. And a couple of more, I think nearly Leah Nereida will make a very good president. Can I wish her the best of uh, luck? And Anne says Leah is a very good candidate and it is mid-cork. <laughs> Kind regards, Anne, I'm going to start a debate now and an argument over is it mid-cork, is it West Cork? Each to their own, I suppose. The bulk of the calls that came in during Leonie Riada's interview to to John Paul in the comment line was to do with Coulee and Ballyvorney. Is it in Mid Cork? Is it in North Cork? Or is it in West Cork? Isn't it gas, the things that get people going? Uh, Jerry in Kildamarcher said, we say Mid Cork to people, but there is confusion. McCroom is known as the capital of Mid Cork and the Lee Valley, but then you'll see West Cork, a place apart signs all around the place when it comes to tourism. So that could be leading to the confusion. Nora's in Crookstown. She says people in McCroom identify more with Bandon or Dunmanway. Yet Mill Street is only 20 minutes over the road. And I suppose if you identify with Mill Street, you'll probably say you're in North Cork or Mid Cork. Whereas if you're identifying with Bandon and Dunmanway, then you'll be saying you're from West uh, Cork. Dermot and McCroom says, Patricia, I'm laughing at people on about the Mid Cork and North Cork, West Cork, etc. It's a debate that's been raging for years in the area. I would say Mid Cork, but there is a connection to the West Cork community as it's so close and tourism wise, there is a much bigger connection. Pat in Ballancolic says, I see McCroom included in West Cork tourism brochures. I wonder are they getting money for tourism under the West Cork brand in McCroom? Remember the phrase from McCroom, the town that never aired a fool. Cork Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. Mary's aside, Patricia, loving the new jingles. 
Uh, yours in particular is a very cheery tune. Thank you. And well uh, swatted that we got a new j- jingle package that went live yesterday morning. Actually, I, I, I still, when I'm going into an ad break or coming out of an ad break and I have my headphones on for just a split second, I go, oh, what am I after doing? Have I pressed the wrong button? You get so used to hearing and playing the same uh, jingle. So yeah, they're, they're, they're a great package. They're, they're fresh, nice, fresh new package, which is always great to have. And I don't have a name on this, but this is the lady who contacted us last week about the rosary beads for her granddaughter, who's making her first Holy Communion next May. And the class was asked to bring in their rosary beads, please, uh, well in advance of First Holy Communion Mass next year. And uh, so she wanted to know where could she buy a nice pair of rosary beads for her little granddaughter. And uh, we got that very kind offer from the Treasure Chest. Isn't that the name of the shop in Mitchellstown? Lovely, lovely act of kindness. Uh, the listener says, I just want to say thank you to you and to your listeners and for all the help regarding the rosary beads for the little girl last Friday. Just to say a massive thank, thank you to the jewellers in Mitchellstown because we received a beautiful pair of rosary beads in the post this morning for her first Holy Communion. I know it's early, but the priest will be blessing them during Mass for her, which I'm assuming is at the weekend and all of the children. Thanks again to everyone for their kindness and uh, generosity. And thank you for taking the time out to send us that uh, text. We had a huge reaction on it. Actually, I couldn't get over the number of people who were jumping in with words of advice as to uh, exactly where you could go if you wanted to get a really nice pair of uh, rosary beads and it's good to know that there's still many many shops selling rosary beads for those who are looking for them still getting in thoughts and comments about Mid Cork and West uh, Cork Anne has been back on to say well Patricia and back again I was born and lived there and you all you were always corrected if you said I'm from West Cork someone would jump in immediately and say it's not West Cork it's Mid uh, Cork (laughs) okay Um, this is Mary who regularly sends us pictures of dumping. She's a person that goes out and about walking and she's, like many of us, absolutely hates when she sees indiscriminate dumping. And I have to say, this has got to be a first. Hi, Patricia. These are scones in a bag dumped on the Velvetstown Road in Bottevant, says Mary. And there's a bag of big like a clear plastic bag first of all the clear plastic bag irks me because what's that going to do for the environment and there's one two three four five six seven eight nine I'd say about a dozen scones in the bag I, have they oh hang on there's a second bag there's one there's two three, hang on there's one big bag and then there's two bags is there t- there's two bags in total with scones where have they come from firstly if somebody didn't want the scones, you, could you not just open up the bag and leave them in the wildlife at least and bring home and dispose of the plastic bag responsibly? Have they actually been dumped or have they fallen out of a car? Would they fallen out of a car? Can anybody explain that? Bags of, two bags of scones, but there's certainly a dozen. One, one bag is full. There's certainly a dozen scones in one bag and then there seems to be a smaller bag with a smaller amount of scones and they look like good and they're fresh they look like well from what I can see in the photographs uh, they're fresh Mary I would suggest open up the bags and let let the wildlife eat them and if you've got some plastic some gloves with you bring just bring wrap up the plastic bags and and dispose of them which yeah shocking yeah it's absolutely absolutely shocking 
We were talking with Leonie Reader in the last hour and she was setting out her stall uh, why she should get your number one vote in the presidential election next Friday. And we know that there's a TV debate tonight that a lot of people, no doubt, will be looking forward to. Jim was on to us to say, had we seen, uh, which with Jim and Charlie, uh, firstly to say there's himself and eight in family. They've got eight votes coming out of Jim's house in Charleville and they're all voting for Peter Casey and it was to do with his comments against the travelling community and for that reason Jim and the rest of eight votes in total going to Peter Casey. And Jim drew our attention to a Limerick leader online poll and how different the online poll is to the national poll. So we, we John Paul did a bit of snooping around to see if you could find the Limerick leader. Now, this is an online poll that obviously is still going. I've just got a printout for us, so I don't know when they're going to close this poll. But it's an online poll where they're asking, who are you voting for in the upcoming presidential election? And according to the, the online poll, 50% of the vote is going to Peter Casey. Michael D. Higgins, 34% of the vote. Leonie Rida on six. Sean Gallagher on four. Joan Freeman on three. And Gavin Duffy on three. Now, that's just a very, I don't know what the numbers are. I don't know how many people have voted uh, in that poll. I don't know how many people follow uh, the Limerick leader. But that's a very interesting little snapshot in time. Because even though we had two different opinion polls out of the weekend, Everybody and all of the political commentators accepted that what Peter Casey said about the travelling community wasn't out in time to influence both of those opinion polls. Both those opinion polls closed on Wednesday and Wednesday was when the news of what Peter Casey had said started to trickle out. So nobody, you certainly couldn't judge from those opinion polls if what he had said had an effect on his vote in a good way or in a bad way. But look at that Limerick leader poll. It certainly would look like he is getting a lot of votes out of his comments and social media certainly over the weekend would have supported Peter Casey because when he came out on Friday and said he was going to withdraw from the race, social media went into overdrive with people saying don't withdraw, I'll give you my vote, my family are voting for you. And I mean, the real poll is going to be next uh, Friday and what people do in the privacy and the secrecy of the polling vote. We won't know until Saturday morning when those boxes are open. But I did see Michael D, or Gavin Duffy. He did an interview with the Floating Voter. This is the podcast for the independent.ie and he said that the entry of the three dag- Dragon's Den investors into the presidential race had actually helped Michael D. Higgins and is helping him to secure the landslide uh, lead. He, Gavin Duffy, uh, his, the, it's his most frank comments on the bizarre decision by himself, Sean Gallagher and Peter Casey to contest the election, he's admitted was very hard to explain. He was speaking on the floating voter and he said that the coincidence had served only to hurt all of their chances. So I suppose his point was it's divided the vote that if there was only one dragon, as there was only one dragon going the last time when Sean Gallagher was doing so well. And he also says, well, I don't know if he's saying he wouldn't have run if he'd known Sean Gallagher was running but he said that he had spoken to Sean Gallagher and that uh, for quite a long time Sean Gallagher was saying he wouldn't run again, he wouldn't be putting his name forward and then uh, publicly he was showing 
showing no interest in putting his name forward and then he did at the end. But anyway, he's making the point that Gavin, but Gavin Duffy, Sean Gallagher and Peter Case, the fact that three of them are running, they're actually helping Michael D. Higgins' uh, campaign. And I also saw a piece from presidential hopeful Joan Freeman. She's leaving the door open for another run at Orsa Nukthron if she's unsuccessful this week. She denied that she's been disheartened in any way by the polls uh, showing the landslide victory for Michael D. Higgins. But uh, she's pointed out that the race could change dramatically in the coming days. Well, it really needs to have a very, very dramatic shift for anything I think to take it away from Michael D. Higgins at this uh, stage. Um, Joan Freeman of course running on a platform of supporting mental health. She said she would certainly think about running a second time when asked if she would run again in seven years time. She said I've fallen in love with Ireland because of the people they so want to make things better for their community and I want to do it for them as well. I want to lead them in that way that is from Joan Freeman and anyway they all as I say will be before us and you get an opportunity to see them because all six are taking part in the debate tonight um, on it's the prime it's a prime time debate who's actually moderating that um, I must get John Paul to check that I don't exactly know who's who's moderating it Joan from was on to say everyone is on about the trip that Michael D Higgins made to Belfast in the Learjet which was about it cost about 5,000 euro what about the e-voting machines are they still in storage says Joan the amount of money they cost and nothing more about it how much are they and did they and how much did they cost in total it must be millions so you, when you add it up compared to just 5,000 euro for one flight to take our president to Belfast. It's not much really in the scheme of things. God, the e-voting machines. Joan, I haven't thought about those in quite some time. I know a number of years ago we looked at the storage of them and there was a huge cost involved in storing them because when they, 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 they gave a trial run for them and then decided, no, we don't like these. And uh, But then they put them into storage until they decided for good. I sure if I, I'm kind of remembering did they auction them off or something I'm sure they got rid of them I mean there was a massive amount of money spent on storage if I get a chance this afternoon I'll do some research on it uh, Joan and watch this space I'll get back to you but my gut instinct and my memory is telling me that I think they sold them off they had some kind of an auction or something and they got rid of them that way we were speaking about the closure of the Waterloo Junction It's been closed now for safety reasons since June of this year. It's the junction where unfortunately we've seen a number of uh, deaths and American tourists and it's all down to the sat-navs tell you that when you're coming from Limerick, Shannon, Mallow, that sort of direction. When you're heading into Cork, if you want to turn to Blarney, the sat-nav, sat-navs will always send you the quickest way. And it's it's telling it was telling people to turn off there instead of going straight on where you have the Blarney turn off very safely on your left hand side. It was telling people to uh, go right and that sadly well, has caused a number of very, very tragic accidents. Pat from Cork emailing Patricia at c103.ie says, Hi Patricia, I just want to make some comments on the discussion regarding the N20 Blarney slash Waterloo Junction. I've been travelling that N20 five days a week for the last 40 years from when the road was bad and now when it appears to be even worse. Safety is out the window and work slash lifestyle has created a monster. Bad infrastructure, more vehicles, faster speed and bad driving behaviour. 
all ju- junctions exiting to the N20 are dangerous and points raised below on the Waterloo Junction also apply to them. The Waterloo Junction is 100% dangerous in my opinion and it needs to be converted to a roundabout. Why? Well I'll lay out four points for you. Firstly, a, a very large proportion of commuters exiting that junction onto the N20 North Mallow direction do not stop and they attempt to merge directly into the traffic flow. The stop sign overrides all rules and is certainly not adhered to. Number two, motorists are unable to gauge oncoming traffic when turning right either from the Mallow direction or from the Cork direction. Three, traffic on the N20 do not slow down to allow traffic to merge from that junction. In fact, they speed up to prevent them to get it from getting out in front. And the fourth point and final point, currently the blocked junction is being bypassed using the grass verge because that section is poorly blocked off. The list is endless. No doubt it's money and no funds to fix it. Safety is always first, not a budget line item. Kind regards and that's from Pat in Cork throwing in his top and safety worth on the closure of the Waterloo Junction and emailing Patricia at c103.ie The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses, supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie the Q Centre in Mallow, they've got places remaining on their upholstery taster course. It'll run on Wednesday afternoons between 2 and 4. Course is free and it's offered to adults who wish to return to education part-time. Uh, to register, you can contact the Q Centre in 022 5542. And as we speak and running up until right across this weekend... The village of Lep is is alive to the sound of Scarecrow. It's the fourth annual Scarecrow Festival. You can check out lepvillage.ie for listings and it is a free festival. Como Ella, the Mallow Community Choir, they've got a table quiz on this Thursday night, 9 o'clock in Albert Lynch's Bar in Mallow. Looking for tables of four, 40 euro, great prizes. Plus the choir will entertain you throughout the course of the evening all are very welcome Kilmurray Historical Society they're launching their book on the Village School on Friday night it's in the Independence Museum in Kilmurray with an 8 o'clock start while Bally de Hob Old Time Threshing Week Vintage Weekend takes place this weekend lots of fun for all the family and proceeds going to Skibbereen and Skull Community Hospitals Palliative Care at Marymount and the Chloe Keane Fund. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. The primetime presenter, thank you to Jean Paul for this, is uh, David McCullough. So that's David McCullough will be hosting the presidential debate uh, tonight. I think it's starting at quarter to ten. It's slightly later than normal. I'm sure I heard that this morning. Somebody was asking with, with the time. It's at uh, 9.45. OK, let me go to the phone lines. We were talking about the lovely act of kindness that was done earlier anonymously for Grace, the young girl, the young student who's in, living in direct provision in Drishan Castle. And somebody has stepped forward to help her out so that she can achieve her dream of becoming a, a midwife. Well, Neil in Balanin had another kind of an, a lovely act of kindness that was done to him with somebody helping him out yesterday and he, he wants to mention it. Uh, good afternoon, Neil. Hi, Patricia. Uh, you're, you, you, your dog had to go to the vet yesterday. 
Yes, I had to take my dog to the vet yesterday, yes. What happened to your dog? Um, he, he had a fit of the shakes, you know? Okay. And, um, you know, I was a bit concerned, obviously. So I, I rang the vet and the vet said to bring him in. So I, I, got, I took the dog into Bandon. And, um... What kind of a dog is it? He's a Labrador, so he's What's a big a dog, big, you know. Is he an old dog? No, he's only about six, six oh, years old. Oh, okay. Six, and seven years old. It appeared he was having some kind of a, a seizure, was it? Right, yeah, he was, yeah. Well, never happened before? Never happened before, no. And I, I, I got him out of the car and he he collapsed onto the ground, you know, and I was having, I, I say, he was just, uh, you know, heavy dog. I couldn't couldn't lift him off the ground myself, you know. And so I, um, I was, I was in a panic, you know. And this this car came past, I, I, and um, I think I called out to her, you know. I called out to anybody, anyway. And this lady reversed back up in the car, and she got out. And she said, "See, I was in trouble." And I said, "You know," she said about the vet. She she went to. She said she'd go and get some help from the vet. So that's what happened anyway. So this random, this complete stranger, you didn't know the lady? No, no, not at all, no. So you at this stage, the dog has collapsed on the footpath? No, on the road. On the road. And you're you're there desperately trying to pick up the dog. And I mean, you know, a Labrador, he's He's a heavy dog. He's a heavy, heavy dog. So she runs off and gets the vet, the vet that you were going to probably anyway, was it? I say I was parked about fifty yards, well, fifty fifty yards from the vet, and um, I was I was taking him in. It, well, hopefully I was going to take him in, you know. Yeah. This car came past, and uh, I I think I just called out for help, you know. I and she got remember. she came out, saw you were in trouble, and ran down to the vet. And then did the the vet obviously came out to you, was it? I say this lady got out of her car and she went into the vet and. She caught a couple of, well, two girls and then a fella came out to help me with the dog to take me take him inside. And the lady, I just said thank you to the lady and she got into a car and went away, you know. Okay, but you've, you've no name, you don't know who the lady is. I do know who she was, no. Okay, and you were, what kind of a car was she driving? She was driving a, a black or a slate grey Toyota, I suppose, a hatchback, you it know. It was a hatchback, okay. But and what time did this happen yesterday? This was at five o'clock. Yesterday evening, so she could have been maybe going home for after work? She could have been, yeah. Yeah, going okay. Going home from work, yeah. All right, so you, you, but you just, you would, you would publicly like to just thank her for yeah, her kindness. Yeah, you know, just say, thank you very much for her act of kindness, you know. And I, I can hear you, you're getting upset. Is the dog okay, Neil? No, I'm afraid not. Um, he was put on a drip, um, to calm him down yesterday and they, they kept him in overnight for observation on the drip and um, the vet phoned me this morning and he said um, dog was fine overnight you know but um, he had a turn this morning and uh, I've lost him Oh Neil I'm so sorry I thought we had one of these happy stories that you were going no, to say. He's bounding around the fields and and he's great. Oh God! And you've had him for what? What, what was his name? His name was Harry. Harry. Mm-hmm. And you've had Harry for six years. 
Well, I've had him for four years. Uh, he was he was a two-year-old rescue dog when I got him. Is he your only dog? He's he's my uh, well, my only dog at the moment. Yeah, but um, he's he's one in a long line of dogs. Ah, uh, it's heartbreaking. My, my fourth dog now. And the vets don't don't know why what happened or just one of those things. He said it could have been a, a viral thing, you know, and the dog went into convulsions and he had a high temperature. He said the high temperature could have convul- brought this thing on, I don't know. But we, we went we went for a walk yesterday after lunch and he was rummaging around the field as dogs do, you know, and um, he came home and he, he I, I fed him and he, he after his feed he, he st- Got jumped up onto the couch here beside me, and and he was he was fine. And then, sometime later, he just got off the couch and started shaking. That's oh, heartbreaking, and it's only it's only anyone who's ever had a pet and lost a pet can identify and knows the pain you're that, going through. Exactly. Yes. So it's more important than ever that you'd like to f- try and find out who this lady is. Just firstly to say, just to pass on a big thank you. Okay, she so may be listening. She may be listening, and if she's not, she may have told some of the story of I helping JP, somebody with the I dog. The JP, the same thing. Yeah, because yeah, it isn't often that you come across somebody like that struggling with a dog that's very obviously collapsed, yeah. and you know, uh, getting out to help. So well done to that lady. Will you get another dog? Um, when my previous dog died, I went I went straight to the rescue centre and got another one, you know, immediately. But I'm I'm not so sure now. I'm, um, you know, I I don't like small dogs, and I think I'm I'm getting getting a bit too too uh, feeble now to um, handle a big dog, you know. So okay. we'll have to wait and see. Okay. All right. Well, listen, thanks a million for, for, you know, even with all that heartbreak, taking time out to try to, f- cont- try to find out who that lady is just to say how much you appreciated her little bit of help yesterday. Yeah, all right. All right, Neil. Mind yourself. God okay, bless. Thank you, God bless. God bless. God help him. Ah. When you lose a pet, you know, you, you know what that pain uh, is like. It's, it's, and I know for people who've never been that attached to a pet, they think, how could you, how could you be that upset about an animal? But God almighty, it is, it is literally like a death in the family. Um, 1850 Oh, just very quickly, can I, because this, remember earlier somebody mentioned, was a Joan mentioned about the 5,000 euro to fly the president in the Lear jet, the government jet up to Belfast. And she was saying, what about the e-voting machines? How much do they spend on those e-voting machines and whatever happened uh, to them? Margaret in Donnerell was on to say, you're right, Patricia, they did sell on. I thought I had a memory of them being sold uh, on. And they were sold for scrap back in 2012. The e-voting machines cost us, us, the taxpayer, 54 million euro. They were 51 million euro was the total cost of the actual machines. And then we added another 3.25 million to the bill because they had to be stored. There was seven and a half thousand machines. They were stored in 14 locations across the country and they were sold to a company called KMK Metals Recycling. And they were sold for nine euro 30 each. 
less than a tenner each. So 54 million in total and they went for less than a tenner each. So the whole lot went, he paid, the owner of the firm paid 70,000. 70,000. I don't know why I'm laughing because it's not funny. And then they were all stripped down to his plant and uh, they were stripped, they were stripped down and uh, shredded. And the reason for the storage and the reason that we paid 3.2 million euro in for the storage was that they had to make sure that they couldn't be in case we were going to use them again in the future. And of course, they were stored for a good number of years. And then we decided that they would never be used again. And the reason that we decided why they would never be used again, there could be no guarantee to be safe from tampering. And then, of course, we discovered after we used they were used the very first time that they couldn't produce a printout. So the votes and the results could never be double checked. And you know what this country is like for recounts and rechecks. So there you go. They have they've they're gone, gone, done, dusted and uh, never to rear their ugly heads again. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We're going to deal with stress management by speaking with our award-winning psychotherapist, uh, Joe Heffernan, joining us from Bohobay. You picked up your award of the weekend once I again. Did. Congratulations. I did. Course, like all things in life, slight problem. Very big, very, very heavy. <laughs> and being short of a wheelbarrow at the time, uh, couldn't bring it on account of the dart, then the Lewis, then the train. But there was a colleague of mine uh, who had driven up from Cork so he brought it down and uh, Mary collected it this morning in McCroom. So where are you going to put it? It's in my office, Is proudly it? standing. OK, all right. Yeah. OK, well done. And you've got to dust it and keep it nice and clean. Absolutely. Okay, well, well, well done once again. Congratulations. Very much, Congratulations. Patricia. Now we're going to talk about uh, stress management and you've got yeah. coping skills uh, to get people started in, in changing um, and, and just adding to the list of stress management uh, skills. OK, we've got one, two, three, four, five different sets of skills. Let's start with physical skills. Right. We'll, we'll run through physical, mental, spiritual, family and interpersonal. On the physical side, um, you know, uh, taking a bit of time to 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 really r- relax. Um, we hear a lot now about mindfulness, and um, younger clients that I would be chatting with would tell me about this app and that app that they can get on their phone. Yeah, for and meditation. That, um, that these are wonderful, um, and and that they find it extremely helpful to put in the earphones. Um, uh, uh, access the app and uh, you know uh, there are several to choose from now uh, I'd be a bit more old fashioned I'd have stuff on a CD it's the same um, yeah. it's the same, same same theory same idea yeah. but just whatever works and what works for you might not necessarily work for me absolutely some people like um, music some people like things like running water yeah other people like what we'll call a guided relaxation, where a person is speaking, like uh, now concentrate on the muscles of your arms, yeah. that kind of thing. And then other people like complete silence. And there's that too. Yeah. So yeah. it's, so it's what, whatever works for you. Yeah. And I suppose a bit of experimentation makes it clear uh, what you prefer. Okay. The, the second one on the physical would be, I mean, uh, you know, another common sense one, um, to eat healthily, to um, you know, to not not too much of the uh, not so good stuff, and um, and uh, uh, as they call it, a balanced diet. Um, 
And, and that can go out the window when you're stressed. Oh, totally. It can indeed. Um, you know, uh, I, I would have spoken with um, people down through the years who um, might, uh, you know, comfort it. In other words, um, when things would get very stressful, they might binge on crisps or chocolate. Um, and that does happen, and it happens quite a bit, yeah. Or the opposite. I, I know, and I'm guilty of this, if I'm in a very stressful time and, and, and a busy period where I'm feeling stressed, I'll, and this sounds ridiculous, I'll forget to eat. Right. So I'll, I'll do the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah. Which I've, I've e- done it myself. Which um, is equally as bad. You know, I might say to Mary, <laughs> had, had, I, had I a lunch? Oh. <laughs> because, you know, some days... Um, And we'll come to time management in a minute. Some days you'll get ran off your feet and, um, you know, uh, just the unexpected happens. That telephone call that must be answered, um, uh, something goes a bit wrong, um, whatever, and uh, and the day gets a bit out of hand. And uh, as long as that's not happening on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. I mean... If that's the way that one was living his or her life, I mean, the the, the stress levels would be um, unmanageable. But, yeah, it happens the odd time, and hopefully the the other the better. Now, yeah. so you talk about self-care. Yeah, to, to, you know, be, be gentle with yourself. Um, not to be pushing yourself beyond your limits. Um, I suppose what comes into that a little bit is being able to say no. Um uh, I, I wouldn't have been very good at it at all. Um, you know, if if there was no room in a day that suited someone, I might well have said, OK, a half eight uh, at night. And, um, you know, uh, I, I don't much do that anymore. I'm getting too old. Um, uh, so, um, you know... You, you you have to look after yourself and um, if you push yourself beyond your limits, well then um, you're not listening to your body. Um, you know, you, you get a headache, you, you get the odd old aches and pains and maybe it's necessary to listen to that. Um, funnily enough now, after the weekend, we were, you know, pretty much on the go and um, there were several workshops and there was this and there was that and there was the award ceremony and a little bit of a speech and all of that. And when I arrived back home, I found I had pains in my shoulders and pains in my arms and things. You'd swear that I was after being cutting down trees, oh, no. whereas there was nothing physical in it. But it told on me physically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and exercise is, is important. Exercise is so important. And, um, you know, to do your best with it, um, <clears throat> we might do. Now, it's a different one than our. We, we, we often do that whole stress test, but there's a different one where one um, adds up. Um, points and uh, subtracts points for negative. If you like, we might do it next week. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great. Well, um, you know, there's one in that um, uh, uh, exercise for thirty minutes. Um, uh, no, I, I'd be, I couldn't be giving myself the points for that because I wouldn't. But I'd be okay for the ten or fifteen minutes. Um, so you know, do what you can do. 
Um, I, I liked the one there about taking short breaks throughout the, the, your, your day. If it's only an old cup of tea, um, to kind of sit down, give yourself 5, 10, 15 minutes and just switch off for a little while. Yeah, it's it's. It, I've been reading um, Alice Taylor's new book because she's joining us, I think, on Friday. I don't know if she's confirmed or not, but uh, Alice has a wonderful new... I mean, Alice has a lovely way of writing books anyway, but, uh, but her book at the, at the moment is all about that. It's all about just taking time to slow down, you know, be in the garden, look at nature, see a flower recognise the smell, just, bring, you know, something that will bring you back to a really nice memory. And just, it's just all, and to me, the whole book just forced me to relax almost reading it. Right. And and that's so important. And it, there's, a, there's a big bit of being in the moment in what you just said there. I mean, um, to actually see what's around you. And we're lucky, I think, people um, uh, living, <coughs> excuse me, living in, Rural Ireland. <coughs> you are all right. You need to get a glass Gosh, of water. Yeah. I know. Do you need to get a glass of water? Are you okay? There's nothing. There's I nothing okay. worse when you're. Are you all right? Are you back <laughs> with us? Good. But, um, yeah. uh, People living in rural Ireland were very lucky. Is because the point. we've a lot of greenery around us. We have a lot of nature around yeah. us. Yeah. And, and that is so so soothing and relaxing. And it's to to make the time to get out and it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be the big marathon two hour walk. You can go out with a cup of coffee and into your garden if needs be and spend the 20 minutes just uh, just out in nature, just just outside. Absolutely. Yeah. And th- that demands a little bit of time management. In other words, like um, <clears throat> if you if you have this, that and the other thing to do in the day, allow time for that. Um, just make that a little goal for the day. Be a bit organised. Um, you know, uh, be able to um, say, yeah, I have 20 minutes now. I'm just going to take a little walk and I'm going to notice uh, what's all around me. And very important, too, to see the bit of humour in life. Um, you know, I could um, I, I could get very red in the face for having lost the voice there for a moment or two. But you know what? Let's see the humour in it. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know. And Dan says, I can relax physically with a few lovely pints of Guinness. Now you've got to be careful of that. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, as you said earlier, what will suit one won't yeah. suit another. Yeah. OK, yeah. Me- you want to talk about mental skills, uh, using your mind to cope with stress. Yeah. Yeah, as I say, time management, um, uh, being able to address important issues, like if there's something that you absolutely need to do, try and do it this afternoon. Get it done. Um, could be an email, could be a phone call, could be something quite small. In other words, like um, uh, being able to plan your day and to be organized and not to let things pile up so that Friday comes and there's, you know loads of stuff undone that needs to be done now because if you haven't it done you've your weekend off hopefully but the weekend can be spoiled by the fact that you're now um regretting or or um stressing about um the things that you meant to do but didn't get done problem solving Problem solving is so important. Um, uh, you know, having maybe priorities, um, uh, 
uh, if if there's something that, uh, as I say, needs to be done, or if there's um, a, a, an interpersonal um, situation that needs to be sorted, maybe ring that person, um, send that email, uh, phone that person. Um, so, you know, you'll feel so much better when when you've um, tackled the problem rather than sort of putting it, as we say, under the carpet. It's like a hard saying, it was from a businessman about, you know, getting the, if you have bad stuff to do, you know, do it early in the morning. And, and the phrase was, if you have to eat a frog. Yeah. Uh, eat it first thing in the morning and yeah. if you have to eat two eat the big one first yeah. uh, and it's the same thing just to, just to, uh, address it and life planning actually we spoke about this uh, last week on the programme when we had Safeguarding Ireland talking about how we all need to plan for our future and, and how important that is and that ties in with this it's like clarifying goals yeah yeah like um, uh, for younger people it's uh, I suppose very career orientated for older people, it might be um, uh, planning retirement. It might come down to um, uh, ordinary, everyday things like pension, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, things that we need to do that, that we don't just arrive somewhere and say, oh, my God, I never expected How did I it. get here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it, and then you talk about organising things, organising like a, a, a clear desk, which I know you strive for and... I on do. a weekly basis, I do. How yeah. tidy is the desk today? I never got there yet. Did you not? He has still. No. He's, he's still seeking order, and you also talk about seeing the humour uh, in in life. The humour when when it comes to my desk, uh, uh, the humour is absolutely vital, Patricia. Okay. Because without <laughs> it. Um, yeah, I, I I wouldn't get through the day at all. So. Uh, Michael in Mill Street is agreeing 100% with something you said earlier. Michael lived in the city for many, many years and he says he always felt very stressed both going to and from work and he felt when he came home he was never able to relax. They then made the decision to move out into the countryside and he now lives in Mill Street even though he's got a commute to work but he says when he gets home the difference is incredible and yeah. at the weekend in his downtime being surrounded by green fields, streams, flowing it makes a huge difference than being constantly stuck in heavy traffic now Absolutely. I'm not now not everybody can move to the countryside but when you're able to do it it does work but you can get to the countryside on, on your time off in this country you're never very far from it absolutely we've got to leave it there we'll pick this back up and uh, we'll continue this discussion next week uh, Joe uh, in the meantime thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining thank us that, bye bye that is don't worry your grand that's <laughs> uh, Joe Heffernan runs a counselling practice in Bohobui 029766 and that's where I have to leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for taking your calls today and thank you to everybody who contributed to the programme we're back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock Nick Richards is going to be with you for the afternoon and uh, we'll talk tomorrow until then I'm Patricia Messenger good afternoon Court Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie C103 Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.